Good morning, everybody. It is good to see all of you. Uh, my name is Shay. I'm actually a pastor uh, in the Sparks Living Stones location. And so I uh, get an opportunity to come out. Thank you guys for welcoming me back. I'm glad I didn't blow it last time and uh, that I'm welcome back. But um, Happy New Year. Yeah, it's good, to, it's good to see we all made it and uh, everybody came through with all their digits. That's, that's always a good thing. Um, and I appreciate that, um, that Carly read this verse, right? At Living Stones, what, what we like to do is we like to take a, a chunk of Scripture and just go through it line by line, verse by verse, to really pull out what God has to say to us. But uh, if you guys look at my Bible, like I have all these little tabs right here, it's because we we're going to be on our Bibles a little bit today. Um, in different locations, just because as we're talking about this incommunicable attribute of God, meaning this attribute that he doesn't share with anybody else, uh, it, would be, it would be remiss of me if I only took us to one location, because the whole Bible speaks about the greatness of God and, and, and how good he is and how he's not like anything else. And so um, I don't know if you guys remember that old Yellow Pages commercial where your fingers do the walking, but that's kind of, that's kind of what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be in our Bibles a little bit. Um, so we're going through our, uh, our The God Who Is There series, uh, and it's talking about, like I said, these incommunicable attributes of God, these, these attributes that God doesn't share with anyone else. Um, Nothing else in all creation is like our God. And our, and our aim in this series is for us to take a, just a pause and just reflect on who God is and just appreciate who he is and who the Bible says that he is. And so today we're talking about God's independence or his, his self-sufficiency. You see, we have a problem as human beings. We want to be God. We see God and we see how big he is and we see what the word says and, and we see all of his instructions, but there's something inside of us that says, but I think I can manage things better my way. I, th I think, yes, I appreciate that God is out there, but I think I can run my life a little bit better. I can, I can, I can replace God with something that suits my needs a little bit better. And I think that if we really took some time to, to really ponder who God is, to, to just really let it set in and to, to stand in awe and wonder of who God is, that we could really begin to, to appreciate and start to really like love God and, 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 and receive his love and just go, be able to go out easier and tell people about him. Um, some of you guys probably seen, uh, maybe some of you are Star Wars fans, maybe a couple of you. And there's a new show on Disney called The Mandalorian. And, and there's this character in, in the Star Wars series called uh, Baby Yoda, they call him. People can't shut up about Baby Yoda. They're, they're, they're in awe over this little baby little creature because he's so cute. And they can't shut up about him. And I feel like the reason why we can't talk about God in the public square, the reason why we have such a hard time bringing up God in our daily conversations is because we're not in awe of him. We're not just dumbfounded by the thought of God. And so that's what I want to do with my sermon today is, is to stand in, in awe of God. And I don't, I don't want this to be a super like nerdy theological exercise where we're just jumping through scriptures and talk about these big concepts. I want our, our theology to inform our doxology. In other words, I want what we know about God to increase so that our praise of God can increase. That's what I want to do with my sermon today. And we all have these, these times in our lives where uh, we just see something that just 
just makes us stand in awe. You guys have had those times, right, where you just, you see something or you experience something that it just, it just gives you pause and you have to just stand and appreciate it. Like I remember standing in front of the Grand Canyon. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it doesn't look real. Like it's, you know it's there, but the river is so far down and it's so expansive. It looks like a picture, even though you're standing over it. And then you look down and you're just awestruck at the, at the magnitude of the Grand Canyon. I remember uh, the month before the Twin Towers fell, I was standing in New York City, standing in between the towers, and you look up and they're so grand and they're, they're so magnificent. The engineering that went into those things, uh, it just left you in awe. I remember standing uh, at the altar waiting for my wife to walk down the aisle, and, and, and she's coming up the aisle. And, and you remember the old cartoon where uh, the wolf, like his mouth falls to the floor and his tongue rolls out? That was me, man. I was in complete awe of my wife coming up the aisle. All of us had these moments, right, where we're, where we're awestruck over what we're seeing. And, and the amazing part is these things would be amazing even if we weren't there to witness them. They just are. There's, there's awesome things. We all have these moments. And, and our bodies go through this, this reaction, right? Like our, our eyes widen and our, and our brains kind of shut down a little and our, our hearts starts pounding out of our chest and, and we're just left standing in our tracks. That's what it means to be awestruck over something. We don't, we don't necessarily try to rationalize what we're seeing. We don't try to explain it away. Just like that Grand Canyon, we just appreciate the bigness of what it is and, and our place as we stand beside it. And if I had to name my sermon today, that's what I would want to name it. As we're looking at God's self-sufficiency, I want us to be awestruck over God's self-sufficiency. I want us to be awestruck over God's independence. Wayne Grudem, he wrote a book called Systematic Theology. He had this to say about God's self-sufficiency. He said, God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. God does not need us for anything, but he most certainly wants us. I don't know if you caught that, so I'll say it again. God doesn't need us for anything, but oh my God, how he wants us. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier this week, and and we were talking about this concept of God's self-sufficiency. And... uh, he kind of, he was trying to bring it to, bring it to our time here. Now he said, uh, think about you and your relationship with your wife. Do you, want, do you want your wife to want you or need you? I had to pause for a second because I'm like, Whoa, I want my wife to need me. But that was a different, that wasn't where he was going with that. Um, it's like, no, you don't, you don't want to be needed by your wife because what happens when you get old and you can't provide that need anymore? Now she could put you away. What happens when you get old and and you're slobbering on yourself? Who's going to be there to wipe up your slobber? That's when you want your wife to want you. That's when you want that love to shine through, not because of a need that I can provide for her, but because she loves me and she wants to be there. You see the difference between need and want. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. Matter of fact, God can't need us. If If there's anything that God needed... If we were the thing that God needed, man, it would just prove that he, he wasn't God. 
If God needed anything in all creation, like if God needed our worship, if he needed air, if he needed to create us so he could feel good about himself, that would be the evidence that he is not self-sufficient and he would cease to be God. His self-sufficiency is necessary for him to be God. He didn't receive life. He's the source of life. He's not modeling someone else's creativity. He's the author of creativity. He doesn't need our fickle relationships to make him feel good about himself. He is perfectly relational in his triune being, not in need of anything. That is the God we serve. And that's where I want us to start our, uh, this sermon this morning, looking at the glory of God's self-sufficiency as it's related in the Bible. And uh, those are my points of where we're going to be going through. And the first one is the glory of God's self-sufficiency. Uh, the first place that it talks about that, at least that I want to talk about it, it says in Psalm 86, verse 8, it says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. There is no other God in all of existence but our God. And I was thinking about it of all the places in the Bible where it describes God's self-sufficiency. And if I tried to hit them all, this would be like a Baptist service where we'd be here till like four o'clock this afternoon and I'd have to serve y'all chicken afterward and it'd be a whole thing. So I'm just gonna hit a few. <laughs> uh, the first one, I wanna take us all the way back to the beginning, Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God spoke and it came into being. And it takes us through the six-day process of God creating the world and everything in it. And he didn't use any tools to create anything. Theologians call this that God created ex nihilo, which means he made all things out of nothing. Our God is the most creative and powerful being that ever was. There was this guy back in the 70s, 80s, maybe you heard of him, Bob Ross. And Bob Ross was a genius. I don't know how he did it. He'd be sitting there painting a picture, and, and he's like, you know what this picture needs? It needs a happy little bush. And you're like, I don't see the happy little bush, Bob Ross. <laughs> but as if Bob Ross were speaking that bush into existence, he'd do a few paint strokes, and there it was, the happy little bush. But Bob Ross needed to use tools. He needed a paintbrush and paint to make his creation happen. Our God said, let there be light, and there was light. Our God said, let there be mountains and trees and birds and, 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 and animals, and let the earth be filled with everything simply by speaking it to existence. Our God is better than Bob Ross. Our God is more creative than anyone we could ever imagine. And I could take it further in that. Um, we, can, we could go back to Exodus 2 and talk about God's self-sufficiency. You guys remember the story about the burning bush? I think sometimes we, we think back on the story of the burning bush and it becomes a kid's story to us, but, but thinking about the, the scientific explanation of a bush that's there, it's on fire, but it's not consuming itself. I tell my kids that fire needs three things. It needs heat, fuel, and oxygen. You remove any of those three things and it ceases to be a fire. But Moses walks up on this bush. It's ablaze. The fire is in the bush. 
but the fire is not consuming the bush. How, how is this possible? What, 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 what is going on with this bush? It's, what is going on with this fire, I should actually say, because the fire is not dependent upon the bush for its heat source. It's a fire that's in and of itself. If you, if, you look at, if you look at the Bible, if you look at the Old Testament and New Testament, typically fire described the presence of God. So the presence of God is in the bush, but it's not consuming the bush because God is a source of life all of his own. Do you guys see where I'm going with that? God, God doesn't need the bush to be ablaze. He is the blaze. He doesn't need oxygen to exist. Like He's, he's the source of life and everything. This was, a, this was a self-sustaining flame. It was the symbol of God's self-sufficiency right there. I think sometimes we, we miss out turning these stories into kind of kids' tales. We miss, the, we miss the bigness of God sometimes. We can go to Acts 17 that, that Carly read earlier. And Paul says that God is not served by human, by human hands as though he needed anything. Our God is different than that. Paul was, Paul was talking to the people at the time. They believed in these, in these Greek gods that, that were uh, up on Mount Olympus, and they needed the prayers and the worship of the people in order to exist. You guys remember the movie Clash of the Titans? You ever see that movie? That uh, the people stopped believing, and, and Mount Olympus began to crumble because they didn't have the people anymore. The people didn't believe, so they, they couldn't be gods anymore. Or maybe, uh, some of you guys maybe have seen the movie Elf. Remember the movie Elf, right? At the, at the end of the movie, uh, they're, they're trying to get Santa's sleigh off the ground, and unless the people sing hard enough and they believe with all their might that the gas meter on the, on the sleigh won't go and, and Santa won't be able to take off. Our God is better than Santa Claus. He doesn't need our prayers. If we never believed in Jesus another day of our lives, he would still be God. He is self-sufficient in and of his own. Despite what our, what our postmodern, atheistic, hedonistic culture may think of him, God doesn't grovel at our feet hoping to get our prayers and our money so he can keep going. He is the author of everything. He's the one who created everything and is holding our atoms together and is keeping us from floating off into space. He's the one that's keeping reality from collapsing in on itself. I want to take you to, to Romans 1 really fast. When you get there, let me know you're there by saying amen. That was too fast. You guys aren't there yet. <laughs> Romans 1 says this, For what could be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, the people who don't believe, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever." 
if, if you're into writing in your Bibles, I want you to write this down for me in the little margin because uh, it's kind of helped me out this week as I was thinking about this. A denial of God's self-sufficiency leads to our eternal demise. A denial of God's self-sufficiency leads to our eternal demise. We have to know that God is self-sufficient. He has to be above all things. That's how we worship God. I want to take us one more place where it talks about God's self-sufficiency. Romans uh, chapter 21. And this is, oh, Romans chapter 21. It says, and, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is the Lamb. Wow. I mean, if we can pause for a minute and think about that, there's no need for sun. There's no need for moon to shine at night because the Lamb of God is all the light source we need. Sometimes we just need to sit back and bask in the truthfulness of who God is. Man, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, not, not only do we attribute the glory of God's self-sufficiency to the Father, but as a member of the Godhead, Jesus shares in this self-sufficiency too. If we think back through the, voices, the verses we just went through, uh, in Genesis it says that God spoke everything into existence, but John says that Jesus is the word of God who created everything. Jesus is the self-sufficient one that Genesis is talking about. If you look back in Exodus, it says that the angel of the Lord was in the burning bush. You can go back and look at it later. It says the angel of the Lord was in the bush. Typically in the Old Testament, when it says the angel of the Lord, it's talking about Christ being in the Old Testament, sustaining this fire but didn't need to rely on anything. Jesus is the self-sufficient one. In Acts 17, when, it's talking, when Paul is talking about this God that's not, that's not made with human hands, he, says, he goes on to say that God is going to appoint a man and a certain time that he's going to come and judge the, all, all the earth. That man that God has appointed is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord over everything. In Revelation, where it talks about the lamb is the lamp of the city. I remember John, as he sees Jesus walking down, to be baptized by his cousin. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The Bible screams that Jesus is the self-sufficient one. Jesus is not need, in need of anything else. He is God in and of itself. And the reason he laid down his life for us was because we are not sufficient in and of ourselves to live a life that pleases God. In fact, we're deficient. Jesus is the sufficiency we need to live a life that's pleasing to God. And the, and the Bible paints this picture of God's sufficiency versus our deficiency. And that's my, my second point I want to take us to. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3 describes it this way. It says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, 
but our sufficiency is from God. We are created beings who rely on other created things in order to survive. Everything we know about life and creation is that it's, it's dependent upon something else. Like the sun, the, the sun that's outside, not, not Jesus the sun, the sun, the S-U-N, that's outside, even that is, is dependent upon something else. It, it needs energy in order to survive, right? Everything in creation needs something else. The sun needs energy to burn. Plants need the, need the sun in order to grow. Animals need plants for nourishment. We need animals, right? Because how else are Disney princesses going to survive if they don't have their animal sidekicks? We need these animals. Can't exist without them. Everything in creation exists in this interdependent relationship with one another. Everything except God. God is the creator of all things. The triune God exists outside of his creation and is therefore in need of nothing. He's not in need of a promotion at his job. He's, he's promoted to the highest position there is. There's nothing else that he needs. He doesn't need our belief. He's, he's going to be God anyway, regardless of how much we believe, regardless of how much faith we have in him, he's still going to be God. I hear atheists say all the time, I don't believe in God. Okay, he's still going to be God. It doesn't matter what you believe. Regardless of our belief, God is still going to be God. But, but we're not like that. Like, we need, we need people to interact with. We need, we need sleep and nourishment in order to keep going. And most of all, we need a Savior that can save us from this curse of, of sin and death. Because we can't do it ourselves. And isn't it tiring? Like, the, the more you try to, like, get your life right on your own efforts, the, the more you try to please God with, with what you do, doesn't it? Isn't it exhausting? Don't you feel defeated when you fail? Because we do. We, we fail every day. Every time we try to please God with our efforts, every time we try to look good to God, every time we try to come to church with a mask on like we don't have stuff going on at home, like our kids weren't screaming at us 15 minutes earlier, it's not, it's, it's not pleasing to God. We, we are in need of a Savior. We have no ability to do anything pleasing to God, unless God does it for us first. I'm thinking back on the story of Adam and Eve, and when they sinned in the garden, um, when, when Adam uh, was told by God, you can eat anything in the garden except the fruit off this tree. Anything. You, you can, and, 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 the, and the day that you rebel against me, the, the day that you do what I'm telling you not to do, in that day you will surely die. Now God wasn't talking about necessarily Adam killing over on the spot. Physical death would be a part of, of Adam's rebellion, but he was meeting this spiritual death too. He meant that Adam would no longer be able to do anything that was without the taint of sin. That wasn't, that wasn't tainted with sin. Let me say it that way. And because we share in this lineage of Adam, that means we're not able to do anything that's not tainted with sin either. Everything that we try to do that's pleasing to God has this, has this smell of death on it. Our son, is, our son is potty training. And it's like everything in the house has this smell that's associated with it. He's doing a great job. 
He's trying his best. But there's this waft that you get every now and then. You're like, oh, man, you didn't make it, did you? (laughs) Something's not quite right. And I love, I love it when people say, like, man, if I was in the garden, I, I would have done things differently. If I was Adam, I would have just stayed away from the tree. Yeah, yeah, right. They would have been taking bets on how fast you would have got to the tree after God left your presence. That's how fast we would have made our way back to the tree. If you or me or anything else in all creation had a choice, we'd have done the same thing that Adam did. It's, it's, we're broken on the inside. We want, we want to rebel. We actually enjoy rebelling. We forget that it was because of our deficiency that Christ had to stay on that cross until every sin was paid for. We forget that it was our sin that placed him up there in the first place. We forget that in his closing moments of life, he had to stay there until he said, it's finished, paid in full. Not one of my people had had the stain of death on them anymore. They are clean. We need Christ because we can't do it on our own. And we have to see ourselves. We have to to see that it was because of our sin that he suffered, but it was by his stripes that we were healed. We have to see that... uh, we have to see ourselves in light of God's self-sufficiency. Like, we're not, we're not holier than thou. You know, that's the, the reputation that Christians have. Like, we stick our noses in the air, and God forbid it rain, because some of us are going to drown. <laughs> that's the reputation we have with some people, that we're holier than thou, but that's, that's not who we are. We're not better than the sinners we look down upon. We're not more important because our jobs or our Instagram tell us how important we are. We're important because of God's self-sufficiency that we're created in his image and likeness. That's the most important thing about us. Without our belief and reliance upon God, who is reliant upon nothing else, we are nothing. So when we're, when we're riddled with sin and, and when, we're, when we're riddled with unbelief and rebellion against God, it's because our reliance is upon ourselves and not God. We're trying, to, we're trying to fix our own problems instead of relying upon God to fix it for us. And to God, this is a grievous sin. To rely upon ourselves is, is not, and not God is an attempt to undermine his cosmic rule. It, it, it's our attempt to try to dethrone God in our lives. God granted us with this autonomy, or, and what I mean by autonomy is this ability to manage our lives without God's micromanagement. Yes, God gave us the freedom to do certain things, but he never intended a, for us to live outside of our dependence upon him. God wants us to have both. Autonomy without dependence on God leads to this false assumption that we're in control and God is not. It's like, it's like when your five-year-old decides to make you breakfast on the stove without your supervision. It's, it's, it's not a good idea, in case you guys were wondering. You want them to have that autonomy. You, you, you're so proud that your five-year-old, who can barely reach the stove in the first place, wants to make you breakfast. But they're in danger of burning the house down. You want them to live autonomously, but you want them to be dependent on you. That's what God wants too. 
God wants us to, to be able to make decisions in and of ourselves. He gave us the ability to do so, so much so that he gave us his Holy Spirit to walk with us in our daily lives. It's how much God wants you to live autonomously, but he never intended for you to live outside of his dependence. That's why Jesus' message, when he came, he said, I want you to repent. Turn away from your sins because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right now. And the more you live as if you're not dependent on me, it's like you're trying to dethrone me, and I don't take favorably to that. It's like, and like how, do we, how do we change? Because that's, that's at the base of who we are. If you're, if you're honest with yourself, it's at the base of who we are to try to rebel against God's good rule. Like God says, uh, don't gossip. And man, if a, if a juicy piece of gossip comes our way, whew, it's hard to turn down. God says your temple, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But man, those donuts, whoo-wee, right? I get it. We, we're constantly trying to dethrone God. And, and he says, this is what's best for your life. But you're like, but I got other plans. I got other taste buds that need to be tapped into. So how can we change? How can, how can a tiger change its stripes? How can a black hole stop from destroying anything that stands in its path? It can't. It can't. It can't by itself. We need this change. We, we need to be renewed. We need, we need restoration to who we're always meant to be, but we need something else to do it for us because we can't do it ourselves. And that's where Christ is our hero. We can't save ourselves. We need, we need a savior in order to save us, but we need one who doesn't need saving by himself. You guys remember Tony Little used to have that, that machine? Or Jack LaLanne that used to have the juicer and he was orange for some reason. Too many carrots. <laughs> for many people, that was their savior. If I could just change my life to look more like these guys, then my, my life will be better. But, man, those guys needed saving. We need, we need a savior that we don't have to, to think that they need saving too. And that's, that's where Christ is our hero. Let me, let me see how... Uh, Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews says, He, that's Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Whew. I like that. He's, he is the exact imprint of the Father. Let me, see, let me see how Colossians says it. You guys are getting my, my nerd going right now. Colossians says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's our God. That's our hero that the Bible is talking about. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father is like, check me out. Whew. Jesus shares in the self-sufficiency of the Father. So just like the Father, Jesus is not in need of anything. And all through his ministry as he was walking the earth, he made all these I am statements. 
If you guys ever get an opportunity, just, just pour through the Bible and look at Jesus' I am statements. They are all explanations or exclamations, I should say, of Jesus saying, I don't need anything. I am God. For example, like he said, I am the bread of life. When Jesus was out in the desert, he was being tempted by Satan. I think you guys talked about this last week, right? The, the temptation of Christ uh, in the desert. When Jesus says to Satan, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was talking about himself. Jesus is the word of God. Man can't live on bread alone. I am the bread of life. I am everything I need right here in the desert. Satan, you can't tempt me. You have no power over me. I am the word of God. I am everything that anybody else would ever need. Man, such a big statement. Jesus, as, as his disciples were, he, he was telling them, I'm going to go away to heaven, but you're going to come and you're going to follow me. And, and his disciples were like, well, we don't know the way. Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. There's no other truth. And there's no other way to life unless it's through me. You don't need any other way. You don't need any other truth. You don't need any other life. That's our God. Jesus, as he was, as he was standing over the grave of his best friend, and, and his sisters came to him and they said, man, if you would have just been here, if you would have just come in time, our brother would still be alive. And Jesus says to her, look, he... He's going to raise up. Like, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to resurrect him. And she's like, I know, I know. On the last day when everybody else is resurrected, but I need him back now. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You don't need to wait till the last day. Life is here now. I don't need anything else. I give him life. In the same way that I breathed him into existence, I'm going to raise him up right now. And that's what he did. Raised Lazarus out of the grave called his soul back from hell, and placed it back into his body. Our Jesus doesn't need anything. He's everything. He is self-sufficient in and of his own. And we have this God who, we, we, we have, in Christ, we have, though he doesn't need anything, he was willing to give us everything. Hebrews chapter 7, it says this, Consequently, Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer daily sacrifices, for, uh, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Christ is the only sufficiency we have for our salvation. Nothing else can save us. He is everything we need for life and, and righteousness and, and a rebuilt relationship with the Father. Not only that, but he knows all of our weaknesses because he's experienced all of our weaknesses. The Bible says that he's been tempted in every way, just like we are. So he knows what it's like to, to grieve. He knows what it's like to go hungry. 
He knows what it's like to rather stay at home and watch football on Sunday than come to church. He knows what it's like. He knows the temptation to not want to go to work on Monday morning. And yet, was without sin. He is the salvation we need. Because all of those, all those temptations, all the times we fall into sin, they are creating a bigger and bigger debt that's keeping us further and further separated from God. And, this, and the great paradox of who Christ is when he came in the flesh, the sufficient one, the self-sufficient one, made himself deficient on our behalf. Think about that. Like, Jesus on the throne from all eternity, sharing in likeness with the Father, took a piece of his, of his godliness off of himself and came into the world as a helpless baby. The God of all creation needing his tushy wiped. <laughs> Helpless baby in needing of care, needing his mother's milk in order to survive. The, the, the God, the, the source of life needing something else. The source of eternal happiness sobbing over the grave of his friend. God doesn't need anything to be happy, but we see him sobbing over his friend at his death. Where is this paradox? The, the stream of living water as he's on the cross. Like he's, he, told, he told the woman at the well, I am, I am the living water. But up on the cross, he's yelling out, I'm thirsty. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he, why would he forego his self-sufficiency to be dependent on the things that he created? He didn't need to. Church, he wanted to. He desired you. He put himself through agony. He put himself through humiliation so that you wouldn't have to spend an eternity in torment. I said before, God doesn't need you. He's all sufficient, but oh my God, how he wants you how he desires to spend eternity with you. God, help us stand in awe of your dependence. We need, we need help. We need, we need to see God for who he is. Sometimes our jaws have to drop to the floor so that we can give proper worship to God. God didn't need to do any of this, but he so wanted to that he was willing to sacrifice his only son on your behalf. So how do we apply all this? Where, where do we go? How do we bring this to the here and now? Um, I think this affects our theology, our relationships, our worship, and our mission. Those, those are four areas where I think the self-existence, or excuse me, self-sufficiency of God comes into play. Our theology. Uh, every now and then, thinking about the perfection and self-sufficiency of God should leave us a little awestruck. Sometimes we read our Bibles, we read the stories, uh, and, and we just kind of gloss it over as if God isn't amazing. And I think sometimes we need to be amazed by God. God exists just by virtue of his very nature. He was never created and never came into being. He just, he just always was. Matter of fact, he says, my name is I am. Or if you translate that properly, I am that I am. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. 
There's nothing that's going to change me. I am. He said, when the people ask me who I am, they're like, I am sent me. Jesus is. I don't think we should always rush past him. I think, I think we should sometimes stand in awe of his uniqueness. And I have to say this. Um, a part of our theology is how we come into our salvation, right? God is self-sufficient, meaning that he doesn't need um, our permission in order to save us. When God wants you, he will take you for himself. Uh, there's a lot of people that try to grapple with, well, I think I had a hand in my salvation, but if so, that makes you God and not God. God is the self-sufficient one. When he's ready for you to come home to be with him in salvation, that's exactly what he's going to do. That, that theology should be at the baseline in our thoughts. It also changes our relationships, right? God's self-sufficiency means that I don't have to be the perfect spouse to my wife. I don't have to be the perfect parent to my kids. Matter of fact, when I blow it, and trust me, y'all, I blow it often. Often. That's okay. I can admit it. I can apologize. Any any effort that they try to put on me for me to be all sufficient for them is a misplaced faith. I'm going to fail them. And you're going to fail your spouses. You're going to fail your kids. But when you point them to Christ, the self-sufficient one, you teach them how to be a Christian. We have to be able to point people past us to the all-sufficient one. God's self-sufficiency, it impacts our worship. So when we're gathering in a place of worship, we don't, we don't come ready to bring God something that he doesn't have. Like, God doesn't need our Sunday morning worship in order to feel good about himself. God has everything he needs. Instead, we come to worship as if we're the sheep. We come needy, hungry, dependent. We, we come with our hands out asking for God's favor. That means that uh, even though our vocal cords may not be like professional or uh, we have two left feet and we can't seem to get on rhythm with everybody else and Lord forbid we start clapping up in this place, it's going to throw everybody off. That is a joyful noise to the Lord because it means our hearts are pouring out in worship. Do you, even if it's off, even if it's off, even if you, you can't, can't seem to get the beat right. Because God gave us his best, we give God our best. And then our, our mission and how we go out into the world, somehow and for some reason, the God who needs nothing or anything has decided that it would be a good idea to put imperfect people at the forefront of his plan to save the world. I think I would have enlisted Jean-Claude Van Damme to come and kick some faces in. I don't know. I would have done things differently. But you are God's plan A. God thinks so much of you, wants you so much, that he told you as his disciple to go and make disciples to all the world. We have everything we need. And I, I hear people sometimes saying, man, but I don't, I don't know how to relay the Bible or I don't know the gospel well enough 
to go out and tell people about Jesus. When the Bible says that you have been given everything you need to live a life that's holy to God. Because he has given you his spirit, his all-sufficient spirit resides within you. The, the same power that rose Christ from the dead is now residing inside of you. You can go. I promise you it'll be okay. I promise you you can go be in the city for the city. I promise you can go start a community group. I promise you can go plant a church because God is with you and he's sufficient for everything you need. Saints, this is what it means to live a Christian life and, and to be a Christian disciple. It's to stand awestruck in God's awesomeness and to praise his holy name and to go out into all the world making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for everything that you've given us. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you for uh, the relationships that we have. Thank you for this church that it's able to be in the city of Fernley spreading the good news about who you are throughout the whole city. God, help us rely on you. We, we are not sufficient in and of ourselves to do anything. Anything pleasing to you is impossible for us. God, wake us up to your glory. Let us, let us stand awestruck in the things that you provide for us. Let, us. let us just stand with mouths open, hearts racing as we look at you upon the cross, as you are dying on our behalf, rescuing us from an eternity of torment. God, you are sufficient for everything we need. There was, there was nothing that was left on the table. There was nothing that we have to now try to do. It's not like you saved us and now we have to live this righteous life in order to get into heaven. Like you did everything on our behalf and now we can enjoy the sun for all eternity, God. Help us day by day stand in awe of everything you've done for us, everything that you continue to do for us right now even the fact that you chose us before the foundations of the earth. All these things, we attribute glory to you, God. Help us stand awestruck for what you've done. Jesus, we need you. We are in great need. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. At this point in the service, we are going to transition into a time of communion. And so I want to invite the leaders to come to the tables. Um, and they are going to serve us. But before they do, I want to read, uh, I want to read this over us from Isaiah. Isaiah 62, it says this. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you 
and your land shall be married. This meal is a foreshadowing of the marriage feast that we're going to get to enjoy for all eternity in the presence of the Father. This meal is a reminder that our great need for Jesus and his fulfillment of that need uh, is represented in the body and blood of Christ. On the night that he was uh, forsaken, he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he handed it to his disciples and he said to them, take and eat for this is a representation of my body. My body will be broken so that your sins can be forgiven. Jesus was telling his disciples in that time, everything you need for salvation is found in my body. Take it, eat, ingest it, savor it, appreciate it. Think about it as it's going down. Just how much I went through on your behalf. In a similar way, he took the cup after the meal was finished and he handed it to his disciples. He says, take and drink. For this is a representation of the new covenant that's going to be through my blood. It means that that old way of life that you used to experience, that, that old way of thinking, that, that old man that used to want nothing but sin, has put to death through my blood. I now have a new relationship with you. It starts with my blood. It washes you clean. There's nothing else that you need. Through my body, through my blood, you have everything you need for all eternity. And when we take communion, that's what we think about. Every time we take communion, it's an invitation from God to, to revel and enjoy and appreciate his self-sufficiency. In Christ, we've been given everything we need. And so if you're a Christian and you're here today, I want to invite you up to take communion. And as you're taking it, that's what I want you to process. In Christ, I have everything I need. I'm so thankful. Thank you so much, Jesus. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, this will be the one time in this service where I would ask you not to participate in because this, this is a meal of belief. It's a meal that self, says to God, I believe and trust in your self-sufficiency. There's nothing else that I need. And if you're not there, that's okay. God will bring you along as he sees fit. But if, you, if you're there and you're, you're not going to take part of communion, I want you to pray this. God, show me how sufficient you are. I feel like I need to make these changes on my own. Would you show me how big you are? Would you reveal yourself to me? Even if you are a Christian and maybe you've been struggling with this thought, like, is God really there? I want you to take pause too. And then if, if somewhere inside God is, God is answering that prayer and, and you feel like, yes, I want, I want to rely on God. I want, I want him to be my all in all. They come forward and take communion. Follow the saints. They know what to do. They've done it a couple times. But when you're ready, inside your heart, you've, you've made peace with God and, and you're saying to God, God, I, I love you and I trust you and I want you. You are sufficient for everything I need. I want you to come forward and take communion with the rest of the saints.